الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه ومن استنى بسنته إلى يوم الدين اللهم اجعلنا منهم ومن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر آمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم فاذكروني أذكركم واشكروا لي ولا تكفرون يا أيها الذين آمنوا استعينوا بالصبر والصلاة إن الله مع الصابرين رب الشحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أمين يا رب العالمين ثم أما بعد So I was informed that I'll be addressing all of you I was told there were 500 of you that was a filthy lie um, and then I was told that it's actually going to be a, some kind of a casual conversation and then I was told it was going to be me addressing you on the way here and then they asked me what is the topic and I said I don't know and uh, when we pulled in here, their cars parked all the way to I don't know where. And I told the fellows that were driving with me, I better figure out what I'm going to talk about because <laughs> there's some serious expectation. Um, first of all, I'd like to express how grateful I am to have this opportunity uh, to address not only all of you, but to come to this wonderful country and this, this incredibly beautiful city. Uh, so far, I, I got here yesterday around Asr time. And from then until now, I'm completely blown away. I, I'm just, I'm absolutely blown away. And there's no way I'm, if Allah wills, I am absolutely coming back here, inshallah ta'ala. Ameen, ya rabbal alameen. So uh, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, um, just knowing that uh, my, my mothers and my daughters, and my sisters have filled the musalla on a weekly basis, um, the main musalla of the masjid gives me so much joy. It makes me so happy that that is the case here. Because there are so many parts of the ummah where our, our mothers and our daughters are denied their basic access to the house of Allah. Uh, and that's a tragedy. I think it's one of the great calamities of the ummah. And to see that here is actually inspirational. It's something that I will take back. And I, I can argue with you, I can share with you that even Muslims living in Western countries don't have this kind of thinking yet. So you're actually ahead of us and we need to learn from you. And that's something that's an inspiration I'll take back with me and share with the community that I come from, inshallah ta'ala. And may Allah continue to strengthen that and give, make this not only a source of inspiration for all of you, I would personally argue these are my own convictions and I'm not saying this because I'm addressing uh, uh, you know, my mothers and my daughters today. I'm, I'm saying this very directly and very openly to all of you. Um, I personally believe that if we don't invest in two, communi- uh, two populations, children's education and women's education. If we don't invest in these two, then there is no future for this ummah. There is no future for this Because th- th- those are the two uh, entities that ensure the future for the ummah. The thing about men is that they can get some really good sleep during a dars of Qur'an or a khutbah. And, and even when they don't, what they, what they learn more often than not stays with them. The thing about women is that it doesn't stay with them. It can actually get pretty annoying because it never stays with them. And they, <laughs> they have to share it. And they have to you know, impart, you know, impart what they've learned, etc. Right? So, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, inshallah. I did want to cater the message I want to share with you specific to my sisters, my daughters, my, my, and my mothers uh, today, inshallah ta'ala. But the other thing that I really want to just share with you is about children and children's education. Because... 15 years from now, those are the adults that make up the ummah. So when we're investing in our children's education, we're in investing in what the ummah looks like 10-15 years from now. That's what we're actually doing. And that's not a very distant future. That's actually just around the corner. 
those same children that are running around making noise in the masjid today are going to be running these masajid, if Allah wills, not too long from now. And the people that are right now funding and supporting all of our institutions, helping us build and maintain the masajid and the madaris, those people are going to be gone or retired or not in a position to support. And that new generation of people is going to be there and they're going to determine what is it that we should be investing in? What is it that we should be supporting? So we're actually investing in our own future when we do that, when we invest in our mothers and our children. And may Allah make you a, a, really a, a striking example for the rest of the ummah of how that is to be done, inshaAllah ta'ala. What I wanted to share with you today, just a few reflections from the Qur'an uh, about the subject of sabr. It's something that's been on my mind for a few months now. Because um, and many of you know and a lot of you might not know, a couple of years ago I decided to begin my study of the Qur'an all over again. Uh, and with no assumptions. I decided to become a student of the Qur'an as though I've never studied it before. And instead of drawing upon knowledge or things that I had heard before, I wanted to come to those conclusions on my own originally. And that journey has led me to in very different directions. And one of those directions is actually a lot of the things that I heard growing up about Islam, about Allah, about the Qur'an, you know, about concepts like even sabr, I started challenging what I heard. And I came to discover that I don't actually agree with a lot of things I heard originally. And that Allah's, Allah's book is telling me something else. And what I heard oftentimes from my elders and my teachers was something else. And I decided to be courageous enough to disagree with what I heard. And try to find real conviction in Allah's words in the, in the teachings of our Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I wanted to share something new that I learned about sabr with you that I didn't hear before myself. And then that, that when I did come to those realizations, I felt like millions of people around the world need to hear this or need to know what Allah is saying. So I want to start first of all with something you might know. Musa Alayhi Salam was the Messenger sent with multiple missions his earliest mission was to challenge the Pharaoh, Fir'aun, and to rescue the children of Israel from the clutches of the Pharaoh. And of course, Allah gave him victory over Fir'aun, and they were able to cross the water, and now they're in the desert. But I want you to understand the population of Muslims that was with him. They were the Muslims of that time. The Israelites are the Muslims of that time. They were the Ummah. That's why they're talked about so much in the Qur'an, because they are the previous believing Ummah. They are an example for us. Musa alayhi salam is now with them in the desert. They have no shelter above their heads. They have no food access. There are hundreds of thousands of them. And I want you to understand what they came from. Many of them are parents whose babies were slaughtered in front of their eyes. You know that, right? Their children were slaughtered in front of their eyes. And those grieving parents are among his population. Many of them are those who have lived a life of straight, uh, slavery, humiliation, degradation, on a daily basis. That's what they dealt with. These are people, what I'm trying to get at is these are people with very deep scars. They're not just a normal population of people that moved from one location to another location. These are people that lived a long time under very, very serious oppression. And that oppression reached the inside of their homes. It reached to the point, nothing can be more grieving than the loss of a child. And add to that exponentially more the murder of a child. And add to that far more the murder of a child in front of your own eyes. And then add to that, you can't even respond. 
you can't even react. And for that to happen on such a massive scale, under the tyranny of Fir'aun, you know, يُذَبِّحُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ وَيَسْتَحْيُونَ نِسَاءَهُمْ For them to mass slaughter their children in front of their eyes and let their women live. Why? So they could have more children. That's why they let the women live. So they could have more children. Because they still needed a slave population. So the women were considered factories for building the next generation of slaves. That's what it was. They come from that background and now they are in the desert. And in the desert, yes, they were, they were slaves and now they're free, but they're also dehydrated and starving and homeless. So they're in a pretty bad place. But interestingly enough, this is not the first time Musa has escaped Egypt. Musa alayhi salam, this is the second time he's escaped Egypt. The first time he escaped Egypt, he also ended up in a desert. The first time he escaped Egypt, they were also thirsty for his blood. So this is the second experience for Musa alayhi salam. So now Musa alayhi salam has to give them a speech. It's like a khutbah you could say. In Surah Al-A'raf, a piece of that khutbah is recorded. He's going to take all this gathering of grieving people that have just and have gone through a very traumatic experience and he's going to give them a lecture. I would imagine that lecture is going to be about sabr. I, that's what I would imagine because he will say, tell them to be patient, to, you know, to, to stay strong regardless of whatever has happened to them, etc. What does Musa salam say to them? وَإِذْ تَأَذَّنَ رَبُّكُمْ لَإِن شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ When your master declared to you, if you're grateful, if you were to be grateful at all, Allah has declared for you that I swear to it, I will absolutely, absolutely, absolutely increase for you, increase for you, and increase for you. There was no mention of patience. There was mention of gratitude. What do you want these people to be grateful for? These are people that lost their children. These are people that lost their homes. These are people that are burning in the middle of the desert. These are people that have every problem imaginable in front of them, and nothing good happening before them. The only thing good that's just happened is Pharaoh's not going to kill them, but now the desert will. <laughs> that would have been a quick death. This is going to be a slow and painful death. That's the only difference. Why, why should they be grateful? This is the world view of the Qur'an. Problems around you are so many, you can't even begin to... You can't even stop listing them. If somebody were to open up and say, here's what I'm going through. A lot of us keep our problems to ourselves. We don't open up to others about what challenges we have in our life. Every single one of us has a number of trials in our life, not one. And, and many of them keep us awake at night. Many of them have to do with our family. Many of them have to, have to do with our personal selves. Many of them have to do with career or job or money or some. There's so many problems. And you're surrounded by them. And there's no hope around you. You're in the desert. <laughs> you're in the middle of a desert. And Allah says, I'd like to help you with your problem. I'd like to pull you out of this problem. And give you more and more and more and more. Okay, yeah, I would love to get some help. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to be what? Grateful. I want you to be grateful. Allah is saying, you just show me the least bit of gratitude. It's the maldi that's used in the ayah to suggest the least bit of gratitude. If you are able to demonstrate that, then the rest Allah will take care of. He will increase you. And He didn't say increase us in what? It could have been the, the verb ziyada in the Arabic language is considered an ambiguous verb. What that means in simple language is, 
When you say increase, it's not clear. If I say, hey, I increased you. Increase me in what? Problems? What did you increase me in? Blood pressure? You know, what, what did you increase me in? You have, it's, it's not clear. I have to say, I increased you in wealth. I increased you in stress. I increased you in something, you know. Allah doesn't say what He will increase for you. He just says, I'll increase you. I swear to it, I'll increase you. Why? Because any one answer would be good for one group of people and not for another group of people. And you don't need increase in one thing. You need increase in a lot of things. You need increase in patience, but you also need increase in risk. You need increase in, in safety and security. You need increase in peace and tranquility. You need increase in lots of things. So by not mentioning what He will increase us in, He actually promises all kinds of increase. As though what He will enhance for us is beyond words. You know, so لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ I'll absolutely enhance for you. So the first thing I want to share with you is that the Qur'an's own remedy for affliction, for difficulty, when we are in a very bad place in life, then you have to really like go through the empty shelves in your mind and find the things that you must be grateful for and hold on to them and remind yourselves of them. And when you can remember them, then Allah will start taking care of the other things that are overwhelming you. This is actually a formula of the Qur'an. And you know, people sometimes, when you're going through a difficulty, people come and tell you, yeah, yeah no, I know this was bad, I know the operation is difficult, I know that this one passed away, but you know, alhamdulillah, be grateful. And at that time you say, excuse me, easy for you to say, you're not going through it. You see what I'm saying? Because they're not going through the pain you're going through. So you feel like they're talking to you like they expect you to turn into an angel and you're not entitled to your emotions. And it backfires. It actually makes you upset. I don't want to hear a lecture about be grateful, please. Leave that to some, you know. But when you meet someone who's gone through the same kind of pain, when you meet someone who's also suffered loss, and then you find that they're telling you to be grateful, it's something else, isn't it? That's a different kind of message. It's not coming from someone who's just quoting something insensitively. They've actually lived through it. And then they're saying it. And so Musa salam has lived through this experience. So he's not just giving them this in theory. He's been exiled before. He's been persecuted before. He's seen death in the middle of a desert before. He's had a broken back to the point where he says, Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. Before he's been there before. And from that place he says, you know, if you can just be grateful, then Allah will increase. لَا أَزِيدَنَّكُمْ Allah Azza wa Jal will say about this nation that was supposed to be become non-existent in the pages of history, the Israelites. They were supposed to just die in that desert and nobody will even know they ever existed. And Allah says, وَلَقَدْ اِخْتَرْنَاهُمْ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ عَلَىٰ الْعَالَمِينَ We chose these people over all other nations of the world. Allah gave them an empire that was bigger than the Pharaoh himself. Allah gave them governance in the world that was never imagined before. Allah gave them prophet after prophet after prophet who had you know, miracles that are beyond description. And actually the most mentioned prophets in the Qur'an are the Israelite prophets. Allah increased them in this dunya and in the akhirah. In so many ways, in so many opportunities. Of course they didn't take advantage of those opportunities, that's a separate story. But let's come back to ourselves. 
Allah Azza wa Jal has given us a message of sabr also. And this talk wasn't about gratitude, it was about patience. It was supposed to be about sabr. But the first foundation of it that I wanted to lay for myself and for all of you is if you cannot, and if I cannot find in myself reasons to be grateful, patience is impossible. It's impossible. There is no way you will have patience in your life if you don't have what first? Gratitude. If you don't have gratitude, patience is out of the question. I hope that much is clear. Now let's talk about patience itself. I won't give you a lecture on patience, I'll only tell you some things that I learned that are new about patience like I was sharing with you before. When somebody passes away, and the mother or the child or the spouse is crying, and they're overwhelmed, and they're not eating, and they're not talking, and they're by themselves, and no matter how much you try to cheer them up, they're still in tears. And no matter how much you try to take them out or change their, you know, maybe, maybe get their mind off of what's happened, or something, and they, they just can't let it go. And they find themselves crying over and over and over again. Then it's a natural tendency for a lot of us to go to those people and say, you know, really you should have sabr. Why don't you have sabr? And I'll tell you, this is a very common thing that we do in the ummah. When people are experiencing a traumatic situation, it's easy for us to... And when they react, and when they have emotions, we tend to say to them, I wish you had more what? Sabr. Like this is the, 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 the advice we give to each other. And I find a lot of times that advice is actually not based on Allah's book. First of all, instead of giving them a lecture on sabr, Allah highlighted what? Shukr, gratitude, that's first. Second of all, what I'd like to highlight to you is the case study of Yaqub alayhi salam. Yaqub alayhi salam lost his child for a very long time. And losing a child, at least you know the child died and there was a janazah for the child, there's closure, the case is closed. At least the child is in the hands of Allah. The child is in a better place. There's something that gives you comfort. In the case of Yaqub alayhi salam, does he know that the child has died? He has no idea what's happened with this child. He doesn't know if he's alive, if he's hungry, if he's scared, if he's in pain, if he's injured, if he's bleeding, if he's being oppressed, if he's being hurt by somebody. He doesn't know anything. That can drive any sane person insane. To not know what's going on with your child. That kind of pain is indescribable. It's indescribable. And of course, his first reaction when he heard the news that he won't be seeing his child again, was فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ The only beauty left now in my life is patience. That's all I can do. Because the beautiful child is gone. So the only beauty left now is patience. But you notice, years go by, and what do his sons say about him? We swear to God, are you going to keep remembering Yusuf? Are you going to keep missing him like he just, we just lost him yesterday? It's been years, get over it already old man. They were frustrated with their father because their father would not get over it. And as a matter of fact, many of you know, he cried so much that what happened? He lost his eyesight. The Qur'an doesn't give him a lecture on sabr. 
The Qur'an doesn't care, don't cry. You need to be patient. And this is the man who himself said, I am going to be what? Patient, I'm going to have sabr. Those are his words. He's, a Quranic, he's the Qur'an's role model example for what does it mean to live a life of sabr. Because it's one thing that you go through a trauma for a day. Or you go through a trauma for a month. It's another to experience that trauma every single day, not knowing. For years and years and years and not know. That's a different kind of trauma. And this man faced that trauma. And he cried and he lost his eyesight. And yet the Qur'an is saying this was a man of sabr. What am I trying to get at? We're allowed to express our emotions. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be deeply, deeply saddened because of what happened. That doesn't mean you don't have sabr. That just means you're a human being. Sabr is something else. We make it into something else. Let me try to be very clear. It is almost as though we say that sabr means that you are not allowed to have these emotions. Or you must hold these emotions back completely. Because if you have these feelings and you have this sadness, that means you must not have sabr. That's not what sabr is. Sabr actually is that even though you're sad, even though you're scared, even though you're angry, even though any of those emotions are there and they're valid, you still did not cross the line. You still didn't become ungrateful. You still didn't disobey Allah. You still didn't say the wrong thing. When you're very angry, it's too easy to use bad words. Sabr means not that you're not angry anymore. Sabr means you were able to not use those words. You, you're allowed those emotions, but you channel them in a healthy way. You expressed your anger in a more articulate way, in a more decent way. The same thing with your sadness, the, way, the same thing with your fear. When these emotions take hold of you, it's too easy to disobey Allah. It's too easy to become ungrateful to Allah. It's too easy to deny the teachings of the deen. For example, people say the worst things when they're upset. They say the most horrible things when they're angry. Sabr would mean you're still upset, but you still held your tongue. Actually, the original meaning of the word sabr, I was just looking it up on my way here again, is habasa, is to hold something back. It's to control something. And it's, Qur'an is teaching us sabr is control, but it's not control over your emotions. It's control over the actions. That the emotions are valid, the actions are that we have, which we have to control. And crying, being sad, being upset is not one of them. Now why do I feel so compelled to share this with you? Because I consider it a form of oppression. That we take people that have, have you know, lashed out. People that have become upset. People that have become sad. And we make them feel like now not only are they emotionally out of place, they've got a spiritual problem too. They don't have a spiritual problem. Don't accuse them of having a lack of iman or a lack of sabr. They don't have a lack of sabr. And so I gave you one example of sadness. I'd like to give you one quick example of anger. This is actually my favorite example. I'll be talking about it tomorrow night at length. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was accused of wrongdoing. The, one of the worst humiliating you know, scandals a Muslim woman can ever go through. Our mother went through. Right? No woman here can imagine those kinds of horrible things being said about her. Not to mention an entire city of people are talking about it. Not to mention that. 
And at the end of it all, I'll give you the riddle, but I won't give you the answer today. At the end of it all, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam came and sat next to her and said, if you're guilty, admit it and Allah will forgive, basically. And if you're innocent, Allah will prove you're innocent. She had been crying for almost three consecutive days by then. Rasulullah came and sat next to her, and it's been a month that the Prophet didn't even sit next to her. This was after a month, the first time Rasulullah sat next to her, since the word had begun, he had not sat next to me, she says. When he sat next to her, he said, if you're guilty, and if you're innocent. Two options. If you're innocent, Allah will prove you're innocent. If you're guilty, admit it, and Allah will forgive. She had been crying for how long? What did I say? So what, what emotion is that? Sadness. But she says, the moment he said it, sadam'i, My tears dried up. حَتَّى لَا أُحِسُّ مِنْهُ I couldn't feel a single drop. The tears are gone. What did you say? What do you mean if? My own husband telling me, if I'm innocent? If I'm guilty? What are you trying to say? That sadness turned into what? Anger. Anger at who? <laughs> and her mother and her father were sitting next to her. And she told her dad, answer him. He said, I don't know what to say. She told her mom, Ajibi, answer him. She says, Allah, Wallahi, la adri ma aqul. I don't know, I swear to God, I don't know what to say. And then she's even more mad. She was already mad at Rasulullah Now who's she angry at? Her parents. Now, Qur'an will tell us, if you raise your voice to the Messenger of Allah, لا ترفعوا أصواتكم فوق صوت النبي Don't raise your voice to the voice of the Messenger Because if you do, what happens? أَن تَحْبَطَ أَعْمَالُكُمْ وَأَنْتُمْ لَا تَشْعُرُونَ All your good deeds are taken away. All your good deeds are taken away if you simply what? Raise your voice to Rasul of Allah Quran also tells us لَا تَقُلْ لَهُمَا أُفٍ وَلَا تَنْهَرْهُمَا وَقُلْ لَهُمَا قَوْلًا كَرِيمًا Don't talk to your parents, don't even let them see a sign of frustration on your forehead. And whenever you speak to them, don't scold them and speak to them in a dignified fashion. So there are three people in front of her. Her mother, her father, and the Messenger of Allah. And the three people, Qur'an says, you better watch how you speak in front of them. Those three people are in front of her. And she's experiencing what emotion? Anger. Ho, 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 ho. When you read this part of the hadith in Bukhari, when I first read it, I said, No way. No way. I gotta read that again. She yelled at all three of them. And she says, she quoted the Qur'an to the Prophet. And she says, I didn't even know much Qur'an. But I said, you people remind me, you remind me of the story of Yusuf. And I'll have to say to you what the father of Yusuf said. Sabrun Jamil. I have to have beautiful patience. She's angry, she's scolding three people, which three you know now. And she says, this is my what? This is my patience. <laughs> and by the way, she compared what they're saying. And she basically said, you people believe this filthy lie against me. You won't even believe what I say. None of this is true. She's speaking out of anger. They don't believe it. But she says, you people believe it. You people accuse me. You people don't trust me. 
That's, what she, that's how she spoke to them. And she quoted this. By the way, when she says, you remind me of what the father of Yusuf had to say, who is she comparing them to? Did you think about that? If she's gonna say, Sabrun Jamil, they're being compared with the brothers of Yusuf, who came forward with a lie. This is what she did. No ayah of the Qur'an came down, watch your mouth. You better take back what you just said. You don't quote Qur'an like that to the Messenger of Allah. He received the Qur'an. You don't Qur'an lecture him. You don't talk to your parents that way. No ayah came down about her outburst. Nothing. And she wasn't even done. When she gave that speech, she turned her back and lied down as if to say, I'm done talking to you. Wow, mom. Well, she's our mother, so... What are we learning from this? The question is, if this happened in your home, a daughter in the house got accused of something or the other, humiliating accusation, and she had an outburst, and her husband will say, you need to watch it. You can't speak to the, your parents that way, or my parents that way. You shouldn't speak to your husband this way. You need to have sabr. What kind of Islam do you follow? Astaghfirullah. You raise your voice like... Wouldn't you get that lecture? The first one to get that lecture should have been who? Our mother. And when the ayat did come, the ayat did not come to give a case against her. The ten ayat came to defend her. Ten ayat came to defend her. Radiallahu ta'ala anha. It's okay if when a woman's dignity is questioned. When a woman's chastity is questioned and she can't take it and she has an outburst. That doesn't mean she doesn't have sabr. That means she's as normal as Aisha radiallahu anha. Our religion does not expect us to become angels. It acknowledges that Allah made us human beings. Our emotions were entitled to them. This by the way, what I just shared with you, please do not use this at home to turn into the incredible Hulk in your family and say, Nurman Ali Khan gave this speech and now I'm gonna... <laughs> but I, I do speak on behalf of people that are emotionally and psychologically oppressed in their homes. And then they are told when they have emotions that they have a spiritual problem. They do not have a spiritual problem. Our religion does not teach that. That is not sabr. That is a false definition of sabr that has made its way into our conversations and has created a lot of oppression, in my opinion. It's just created a lot of oppression. And so every chance I get, I try to revitalize and share this message again because it is something I feel that we need. We are, it's okay for you to be sad. It's okay for you to be angry for legitimate reasons. It's okay for you to even have an outburst. You're not gonna go to hell because you raised your voice. You're not, relax. Don't be so hard on yourself. People around you are very quick to send you to hell. They're very quick to send you to hell. Allah will ask you about this. You have done da 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 da. Wow, really? Because the revelation came to you to let you know how her interrogation is going to go. Calm. Don't don't pass judgment on people and don't be a harsh judge on yourself. Allah Azza wa Jal is merciful. And you know, the last thing I'll share with you about our mother Aisha radiAllahu anha on this, and I'm done. I'm absolutely done is uh, she shared this story many years later. She could have skipped this part. She could have not told us that she did that. Right? Because it's embarrassing. She raised her voice to her parents. She raised her voice to 
the Prophet of Allah she quoted the whole thing word by word by word by word by word. And when she quoted it, I was expecting her to say, and I feel really bad about that. I regret that I did that. She didn't. She said no such thing. Umar radiallahu anhu one time raised his voice to the Prophet at Hudaybiyah. That happened. Did he regret it later? Oh yeah. I mean, he literally said, tell my mother, somebody tell my mother her son is doomed. Her son is as good as dead. I mean, he was devastated. Our mother Aisha radiallahu anha is not devastated. Why not? Because, and she has a very clear understanding of this deen. And she honors our, our messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. But she understands she did not cross a single line. She didn't do something wrong. As a matter of fact, to the contrary, she says, وَلَا شَأْنِي فِي نَفْسِي كَانَ أَحْقَرْ مِنْ أَنْ يَتَكَلَّمَ اللَّهُ فِيَّا بِأَمْرٍ يُطْلَى وَفِي أَمْرٍ يُطْلَى She says, I used to think I wasn't worth Qur'an coming down for me. But it did. Which means I am worth it, basically, is what she's saying. That's how she spoke. She wasn't hard on herself. Don't be hard on yourself. Be like your mother Aisha. Stop beating yourself up. Stop condemning yourself. Stop living a life of guilt. Constant, constant, constant guilt. Allah forgives. Make istighfar if you've made a mistake and move on with your life. Don't let that guilt overshadow everything you do. It will ruin not just you, it will ruin the people around you. You're not going to be able to have normal relationships if you live in that kind of guilt. You know, you won't just be sorrowed yourself, you'll become a source of sorrow for people around you. Don't do that. Become a person of gratitude. Allah has given us in this life, Allah has given us a chance to make up for our mistakes. This is why we're still alive. If your chance was over, you wouldn't be alive anymore. The fact that He gave you another breath, another, another chance, is because he, he still has the door open for you. He still has love and mercy for you. If He considered your case closed, then we'd be doing your janazah right now. That's just the fact of it. May Allah Azza wa Jal help us really internalize the, the inspiring, beautiful message of His book. And not become more judgmental than Allah's book itself. Towards one another. May Allah keep us from being oppressive to one another, especially within the context of our families. Jazakunallahu khairan. Every one of you, I'm, I'm so grateful that I had this opportunity. I don't know how long I'm going to stick around. I think they have a schedule for me, but uh, it's, it's so awesome to see all of you. I wish I had time to engage many, as many of you in conversation as possible. I will promise you one thing though. Uh, I have my khutbah. Uh, uh, this is the masjid I have khutbah in, right? Is this the masjid I have khutbah in tomorrow? Here? Okay, so here, I have a, I have a certain policy for khutub. Um, I give the khutbah, and then right after the khutbah, I usually go outside, and I give a chance to our mothers and our daughters to ask whatever questions they want. Because I feel our, even though this is an exceptional community, I feel across the ummah, our mothers, daughters, and sisters don't have an, as much of an opportunity to engage with uh, the du'at, the scholars, etc., as the men do, so I, I'd like to give them priority first, inshallah ta'ala. So that's what I, if, even if we don't get a chance to speak today, I will make it a point to stay outside as long as I can tomorrow, inshallah, to, to do that. Barakallahu li wa lakum, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.